Mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Ohio's Social Media Parental Notification Act, which was approved as part of last year's budget bill, goes into effect later this month. Lieutenant Governor John Husted talks about what it is, how it works, and whether it'll really make a difference. Also this morning, a new thriller from best-selling author Jeffrey Stevens asks the question about government corruption we're dealing with in real time. Are there enemies among us? And ringing in a new year of fun outdoor activities and programs from the Hancock Park District in the month of January, Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, January 4th, 2024. So this is uh, the story, and everybody seems to be talking about this uh, 13-year-old kid, 13-year-old kid from Oklahoma that apparently achieved the impossible by reaching the final level of the classic video game Tetris. Um, And they say it's the final level because the game crashed. It was what they call the kill screen, I guess, in video game parlance. The game crashed, level 157. Technically, and I thought this was kind of interesting, I never knew this, technically Tetris has 255 total levels. When you get to that point, the game is supposed to reset back to level zero. That's the way it is coded. But because the game gets quicker each and every level... At level 157, it becomes too fast for the computer to keep up, and it just crashes. So, and this 13-year-old, 13-year-old from Oklahoma, this game has been around for like 40 years. And uh, so it predates, it's it's probably older than this kid's parents, this game. <laughs> this game. Um, and so, uh, but he is the first person to defeat the game Uh, In its history, Uh, Willis Gibson posted proof of his feat on YouTube on Tuesday. And uh, apparently he is not a newbie to this. It's not like he randomly beat the game. Uh, Apparently in apparently last year in 2023, uh, young Mr. Gibson finished third in the World Tetris Championships. So. There you go. By the way, did you know this? I did not know this. Uh, the game pieces in in the game Tetris actually have a name. They're called tetrominoes, like dominoes, but tetrominoes. I I never knew that. Anyway, the game that put uh, Nintendo's Game Boy on the map. I'd never seen Tetris before. It was around as a computer game um, for early uh, computers in the eighties. But I never saw it until I uh, saw it for the Game Boy. But everybody had Tetris on the Game Boy. That was really the uh, the uh, video game that put Game Boy on the map. So. Finally has been beaten. Speaking of games, did you see this? New Year, new law. Major retailers in the state of California are now required to have gender-neutral toy aisles. This is a requirement in California, if you have a toy store, you have the boys' toy aisle, you have the toy aisle for girls, and I think we 
all know what to expect in those toy aisles, right? Well, now you have to have a gender-neutral toy aisle. Now, I don't know. I'm going to step back here. Maybe I'm reading that incorrectly. Can they still have boys and girls toy sections? They have to add a gender-neutral title. They have to eliminate those uh, gender-based toy aisles entirely. I'm not sure. But anyway, it says, by law, retailers in California now required to have gender-neutral toy aisles. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill into law a couple of years ago, um, but it is now uh, being enforced as of 2023. A major retailer is defined as one that has at least 500 employees. Violations bring a $250 fine for the first offense and up to $500 for each subsequent violation. So, don't want to go to the wrong side of the law in California. Gender-neutral toy aisles. All right. Okay. Speaking of state laws that made headlines, making headlines, made headlines, you remember... Uh, it's you remember when Colorado became the first state to legalize recreational marijuana. Do you know it's been 10 years now? Monday marked the 10 year anniversary of the first legal sale of recreational weed in the state of Colorado. It's been a decade. Voters actually passed that amendment a couple of years before that or a year earlier. But the first sale did not come until 2014. It was 2012 when the law was passed, 2014, when the first sale took place. Since then, Colorado has seen more than $15 billion in legal pot sales across the state, and tax revenue is estimated to be about $2.5 billion dollars that legal weed has added to the coffers in the state of Colorado. And of course, it started a flood of similar laws all around the country, including most recently Ohio. But again, the uh, argument for legalized uh, marijuana is being able to tax it, and they have to the tune of two and a half billion dollars. Just worth pointing out. Um, this is big news, big news that, uh, the names of, on apparently some list or the names on the documents of accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein have been ordered released by a court hearing a lawsuit related to that case. Judges ordered the release of documents naming names of nearly 200 individuals that Jeffrey Epstein associated with. And there's not a list per se, but it's just names on a treasure trove of documents that are now being made public. Um, and it was already known that Epstein had social connections to a lot of very rich, very powerful people. He himself was a very rich individual. Prince Andrew, uh, former President Bill Clinton, among Mr. Epstein's associates, uh, Donald Trump has been linked to Epstein, but none of them have been convicted or even accused of any uh, crimes 
uh, along the lines of what Jeffrey Epstein uh, was facing. Prince Andrew is probably the closest uh, person connected to the uh, criminal activities of Mr. Epstein. And um, he settled his case out of court with uh, at least one of his accusers. Um, We still don't know all of the names. They say about 200 people. Uh, would be named in these. Nobody wants to see their name, but most of it has already been uh, made public anyway. And uh, folks are quick to point out that none of the individuals uh, on the uh, the list or names that may come out have been accused of any crimes necessarily. Still, guilt by association. You do not want to be on this list. That's, that is for sure. Uh, so people are talking about that. And um, it's New Year's resolution time. This, I thought, was uh, kind of interesting, according to a new survey by WalletHub. Not so much a survey, more uh, research. They uh, crunched the numbers by 57 different metrics to come up with a list of cities most likely to keep their New Year's resolutions. Now, yesterday, we were talking about the fact that New Year's resolutions is kind of a tradition that seems to be becoming obsolete. Many young people these days don't really make New Year's resolutions. But if you do, you are most likely to keep your New Year's resolution if you live in Seattle. Seattle, Washington takes a top spot overall out of 182 American cities overall in the uh, data crunched by WalletHub. Among the metrics they use, uh, health, financial, and work resolutions... And apparently surveys as how many people have, have kept all of those uh, resolutions. Uh, to uh, break it down, Scottsdale, Arizona, folks there are best at keeping their health resolutions. Overland Park, Kansas, they are most serious about their finances. And Laredo, Texas, the city most likely to keep their school and work resolutions. By the way, so Seattle number one overall, the top Ohio city on the list is Columbus, All the way down at number 73 out of 182. 73. Toledo, which is the closest uh, closest city to us, Toledo, 167th out of 182. And Newark, New Jersey, dead last. So, want to keep your resolution? Uh, Move to Seattle. If you, speaking of resolutions, um, if you are, if you are, I've set a goal to eat healthier in the new year. You want to try the Mediterranean diet. U.S. News and World Report has ranked that as the healthiest diet out there for the seventh year in a row. The diet that includes whole unprocessed foods, olive oil, whole grown, whole grains, beans, seafood, leafy greens, and so on. Experts say this is heart healthy and easy to follow. Um, so the Mediterranean diet is uh, is tops for the healthiest diet plan out there. The DASH diet was second place. Keto diet uh, won top place for quick weight loss, but ranked last overall for its potential to cut healthy carbs. Now, the Mediterranean, And by the way, if you're thinking about going vegan, forget about it. Um, because new research from a medical university in Poland, his name I can't pronounce and won't even try, says when it comes to diets, plant-based options are not as good for you as you might think. They studied 
vegan options on restaurant menus and found that the vegan options often contain less protein and had more carbs and sugar than their meaty alternatives that they are trying to replace. And if you are thinking, well, but they're lowering calories. Nope. Not so either. Um, most of them had more calories or at least as much calories as their traditional counterparts. The uh, author of the study says this exposes the illusion that plant-based alternatives are automatically a healthier choice. There are some that are healthier, but uh, just because it's vegan doesn't necessarily mean it's healthier. So, Things to think about as you are managing your New Year's resolutions to eat healthier there. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchak. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies expected today, a high in the low 30s. Just a few clouds tonight, a low around 20. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is reporting that fatal crashes over the New Year's holiday were down compared to last year. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says there were six crashes on the New Year's holiday that ended in seven deaths. Of those seven fatalities, five of those killed were not wearing an available safety belt. The four-day reporting period went from December 29th to January 1st. These numbers are down from last year's when 13 deaths were reported. I'm Colin Dorsey. Raise the Bar Hancock County has secured its fourth consecutive industry sector partnership grant from the state. Over the next year and a half, Raise the Bar will focus on helping job seekers and employers in the manufacturing, transportation, and logistics sectors. Raise the Bar Executive Director, Tricia Valesk. It's learning what to, across the board, our employers kind of need. And it's the soft skills, it's some of the technical skills, but it's mostly that employability aspect of an individual. And we're finding ways to create that employability within people. Tricia was on with WFIN's Chris Oaks to talk about how the grant will be utilized to get more of that interview in the story on our website. The flu is spreading around the country after holiday gatherings and travel. Here in Ohio, 317 people spent time in the hospital with the flu within the span of a week. That's according to the most recent data from the State Department of Health. And they also know that the highest rates of flu are in northeast and eastern Ohio. Doctors say the spike is normal given the holidays and all the gatherings, but a flu shot can help keep you healthy. I'm Tracy Townsend. The Hancock Park District will be holding a winter bird hike at Oakwood's Nature Preserve. The park district says even with the colder temperatures in winter, many birds still call the park home. During the hike, they'll search the park for Ohio resident birds like chickadees, cardinals, nuthatches, and woodpeckers, as well as for winter visitors like juncos and kinglets. After the hike, they'll go inside the Discovery Center and view the birds at the bird feeders. Get more on this upcoming winter bird hike put on by the Hancock Park District in the story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Today's cover story is actually our throwback Thursday. Ohio's Social Media Parental Notification Act, which was approved as part of last year's budget bill, goes into effect later this month. As a matter of fact, a week from Monday on the 15th, uh, it will be in effect. This is a measure that was championed in part by Lieutenant Governor John Husted, the driving force in getting this measure passed. And we spoke with the Lieutenant Governor about what 
it is, how it works, and whether it'll make any difference. From July of last year, it is today's Throwback Thursday. Talk a little bit about what this measure is, what it includes. How does this work? Well, let's first understand that social media and a variety of digital platforms, whether that be TikTok or Instagram, Snapchat, it, it is uh, proving to be harmful to our children because excessive use, particularly for young children, is proven to have both mental and physical health um, impacts and academic, a decline in academic performance. And so if you accept that premise, that this is bad, particularly in excess to our children mm-hmm. and to our young children, especially, then you say, well, we got to do something about it, right? We should, we should intervene. Um, and the social media companies uh, really go around parents right now. You can sign up. You know, all you simply have to do is if you're, you just say, Hey, I'm old enough and you sign up and no one knows the difference, right? right. Well, we want to give parents the say, we want parents to have a say in the digital lives of their children. So what the, what the, the uh, new law will do is it will require social media companies to confirm parental consent before signing up any of our children under the age of 16 to their social media platform. So uh, it's really just putting parents back in charge of the digital lives of their children. So I, I think most everyone would agree with the uh, concept uh, that the concept is a, is a good idea. The devil is always in the details. How would this be enforced and how would this parental uh, confirmation or, or uh, approval, uh, how would, what does that look like under this uh, measure? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, look, we, we worked with the social media companies. We worked with these tech companies and said, hey, we're going to give you some time to comply with this. So they're not going to have to comply until January of next. Uh, but they have to build in, into their platforms a parental consent terms of service uh, that you will have to confirm. You could do that with credit cards or um, we gave them a variety of options. They can mm-hmm. use um, a video conference. They can use a telephone confirmation. They can use a government-issued identification. They can use a credit card. Anything that you would do to confirm that you're over the age of 16. Um and parents have the ability to do that. We're going to allow the social media companies to build whatever platform they need to do that. We're just going to hold them accountable for the outcome. And if, and if we find out that there are ways that they are, they are allowing children under the age of 16 to sign up to their platforms, then they can be held financially and legally liable for uh, their failure to comply. That was the other question. What are the penalties for social media companies that don't comply? Yeah, well, there can be fines, suspensions, uh, a, a variety of, of – uh, there's a variety of financial incentives for them to avoid uh, making uh, – failing to do this. And, and understand, this is the brave new world. Uh, w- w- Ohio is a leader on this, but there are seven other states, South Carolina, Utah, and others that have done the same things. So the companies are going to have to do this on a broader uh, on a nationwide basis, mm-hmm. uh, state by state. So they know this is coming uh, and they need to comply. And um, we know, we know that people are innovative, that they might find their ways around. Well, that was, and you know what? And when we, 
And when we find holes, when we find holes in the dam, we'll plug them. That was going to be uh, but, the, that but, was going to be one of the other questions because, as uh, every parent knows, uh, today's uh, generation of kids incredibly tech savvy. Uh, I can imagine that it won't take long before they find ways around these safeguards. I wouldn't think. Well, and maybe, but I, I th- we're going to make it tough. Because because you have to have parental consent to get on, and and the and the social media company will make it hard for you to get on without that parental consent, and and we, it's not hard though. Like we're not banning anything. Okay, mm-hmm. no one's banned anything. We're just saying to your nine year old or your twelve year old or your thirteen year old or that you just you have to get your parents to say it's okay. All right. Well, well, that seems like a pretty logical thing to do. Just right. take your phone to mom and dad and say, say, hey, I would like to sign up for TikTok. And mom and dad, you know, pipe in their information and give them the ability to consent to do that. But also at that moment, if mom and dad were to do that, they can set filters and have their own coded password that their kids don't know that say, hey, you can't be on this platform after nine o'clock at night. Uh, you cannot be on this platform or and, any of these platforms for more than three hours a day. And uh, total, those, two hours a day or one hour a day. Those, and, and we're going to set PG-13 filters to say that no content that wouldn't be acceptable uh, uh, under a PG-13 um, yeah. uh, uh, moniker would be on this. Just so we're going to... Do two things, parental consent and making sure mom and dad can set filters. And and just to be uh, clear, those parental controls uh, will be done uh, at the, the platform level or on the device or, I mean, will... Yeah, the social- at the platform. So they will be responsible the for level, that as well. Yeah, at the platform level, when you sign your child up, you will be given all of the prompts to say, this is what we want to do. And... Because, look, the most, I'll revisit the purpose again. We're seeing children, their mental health being affected mm-hmm. from everything from bullying to gender transformation uh, information, eating disorders uh, information, suicide information. Uh, one, young, one young Ohioan lost their lives when they took the Benadryl t- challenge on TikTok where they where they took a bunch of Benadryl and they were supposed to hallucinate, but instead it invoked a, a seizure yeah. and the young man died. Yeah, like I and said. And so we're just seeing, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to help make sure that all of those harmful things are filtered uh, and 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 uh, parents give consent before any of their children see any of it. Yeah, again, uh, you know, like I said, I think everybody agrees with the uh, idea and the principle here. Uh, the biggest unknown may be... Um, Will the parents be that involved? I mean, you know, it's it's tough to force parental involvement in families where that is lacking, and we know that that is a uh, a problem that goes beyond just social media. Well, there certainly is a problem with a lack of parental involvement in our children's lives, and uh, um, I'm not going to give up on that. I mean, that's that that's an essential when you become a mom or a dad. Uh, that's what you signed right. up for. Yeah, okay? no question. So go parent. That's, yeah, go parent. And but but in this particular case, I want I want to make it easier for them to do that. Yeah, uh, they may not be savvy. They may not know a lot of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it easy for them to have more power and more say in the digital lives of their children when they and when they may not be tech savvy enough to do it on their own right yeah. now. We're gonna we're gonna force the companies to help them 
make it easier for them to do that. Lieutenant Governor, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And no need to wait till it becomes law. Talk with your kids now and have these conversations around the home. Our uh, conversation from July of last year with Ohio Lieutenant Governor John Husted, the uh, champion of the Social Media Parental Notification Act, which again is was approved as part of last year's budget bill, goes into effect later this month, uh, a week from Monday on the uh, 15th. And uh, Ohio's law, incidentally, is uh, one of several uh, in various states that have uh, attempted to address the issue of parental notification and parental permission with respect to kids and, and social media. There's not a, a federal measure, but a, a number of states have taken this up. You might have heard in Arkansas a similar law that was set to take effect last September has been placed on hold while a challenge works through the courts. It's kind of interesting. The law in Arkansas was similar but distinctly different to Ohio's in a couple of different ways. Number one, it applied to all minors, not just minors under the age of 16. And also in Arkansas, the law uh, defined social media much more broadly than Ohio's law. And that's really the heart of the challenge in the uh, law in Arkansas, which is now working, working its way through the courts. Remains to be seen. Uh, just how much of an effect this will have. And obviously, uh, the industry, uh, tech industry and social media companies are pushing back against these laws. But Ohio's Social Media Parental Notification Act takes effect on uh, January 15th. And you can learn more about it and the enforcement of this law at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. <laughs> Well, if you read the Jeffrey Stevens thriller, The Handler, in which CIA operative Nicholas Reagan and his partner are assigned to prevent a terrorist attack on U.S. soil, you will definitely want to pick up the follow-up, Enemies Among Us, which is out now where it is not always easy to tell the heroes from the villains. Jeffrey Stevens, thanks very much for taking the time, and uh, certainly congratulations on the uh, new book. So this this novel picks up the story right where the first one left off, or kind of lay this out for us here. Yes, it did, and thank you for having me, and Happy New Year to everyone. Hope it's a healthy and peaceful one, that's for sure. Um, yes, uh, I, I generally don't do this because I have a, a couple of different series of thrillers with different characters, but when I started this one with Nick Reagan, I decided that I wanted to have a dangling participle, so to speak, <laughs> at the end of The Handler, so that it would drive people to the next book, because I thought there were things that I wanted to do and say and have happen, and it would have been too much for one novel, and so, therefore, we came out with enemies. So it is certainly timely, if for no other reason, that you have tapped into the sense of government corruption and distrust that so many people feel these days. You know, I, I really tried. I really tried to do that, Chris. You know, and one thing I want to say to people: this isn't about Democrats versus Republicans. This isn't about liberals against conservatives. This is about the United States and what's going on in this country and how we are being controlled on so many different levels 
particularly socioeconomically, and how people at the very top, you know, that so-called 1%, don't really care a lot about how Mr. and Mrs. America are feeding their family or, or why it costs $85 to fill your car with gas. Right. It's, you know, it's unbelievable to me. But in any case, so this is really a story about that sort of corruption that exists at high levels, not only of government, but in business as well, and how Nick Reagan is sort of an American hero that's easy to root for because he's on the side of right. So give us kind of a brief synopsis of the storyline here. Again, for those who have read The Handler uh, may already be familiar with the backstory, but for the benefit of those who aren't familiar, kind of lay this out where we are and where we're going with this story here. Yeah, well, spoiler alert. So what happened at the end of The Handler, I'll just say, leads into what Nick Reagan and his partner Carol Gellos need to look at in the second book, which is Enemies Among Us that we're talking about. And and when they begin, the action starts almost immediately. I mean, the, the action starts really on the first page. And what happens is they discover that some of the evil things that are happening are not necessarily happening from foreign terrorists or any of that. It's happening right from our own backyard, that there are people in the government for their own purposes who are perpetrating bad deeds. And so it's tough for them because people don't want to believe that and people don't want to get behind them in what they're doing. So they're running into a lot of resistance as they try and find the facts to prove what they're saying. And that's what the book is about. So it's a lot of action. It's a lot of excitement. There are some great new characters in it and some subplots that I think are very, are very, um, how shall I say, are very affecting for people. They say, boy, I know, you know, problems with business and big pharma and all the rest of it. It just isn't right what's going on. And so that's what the book is about. So uh, folks will will remember the story of uh, Victor Manuel Rocha, the uh, U.S. ambassador, national security official who was charged last year with acting as an agent of the Cuban uh, government. That's not really what's going on here. It's not so much spies from other countries or terrorist groups who have infiltrated the government. This is individuals within the government that are so corrupt that they are willing to turn a blind eye to this activity to further their own personal agendas. Yeah, that's what's really amazing. You know, the selfishness of certain people in the government that they do it for their own selfish motives. And I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, like Hunter Biden, for example. But people (laughs) do these things not because they have some philosophical difference. I mean, not that not that I respect communism, but I understand there have been people in the course of, you know, the past century who were communists in this country. And so they believed in a different political and socioeconomic, as I say, uh, set up, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dyed in the wool American. I'm a capitalist. I believe in all of that. But these people that are in this book and what's happening in this century, what I'm seeing is they're doing it for the money. I mean, it's yeah. just that simple. Yeah, it, they don't have a religious or, 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 uh, or other kind of philosophical difference. They just are doing it because they're selfish and they want the dough. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, spice- that's really low when your country is at stake and people's lives are at stake. It's just not right. Yeah. Spies, spies infiltrating the government is bad enough. This, in many respects, you could say is actually worse. Uh, your books have earned high praise for crafting these stories that are so realistic and believable that sometimes you have to stop and remind yourself that this is actually a work of fiction. And I know that comes from the meticulous research and the attention to detail, but 
Could this be a, a real story? Well, let, let me say this. Um, I, I didn't start out, when I started writing novels years back, I didn't start out to write spy novels. I wrote a, a book about a father and a son that did not get published at the time. So the agent that I had then said to me, well, what else have you got? And I said, well, I wrote this book about a spy because I have a friend who I found out quite by accident who was in the corporate sector, but he actually was a CIA agent, and that was real. And we were very close, and, and, and he never you know, turned over state secrets to me, but he certainly educated me uh, to a lot of things that happen in government. So that was the genesis of my writing spy novels. And so a lot of this is based on someone who really was there and who really was in the midst of it. He has since passed, I'm sad to say, but he was a real, I mean, he was an American hero. He was a Green Beret. He was in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. He was, and then uh, they tapped him when he was in the corporate world to work for the CIA, and he did. And so I understood a lot of how these things operate and how sometimes the people at the top are not always as good as we want them to be. And remember, too, and that's a lot of it, and I know that you saw this in Enemies Among Us, you know, keep in mind that, for example, the guy who runs the CIA is a political appointee. Mm -hmm. He is not somebody who's been in the intelligence community as whole life. He's a political hack. And some of them are really good and some of them aren't so good. And some of them are competent and some of them aren't competent. And that's one of the things about our government that's so interesting. And so it's not like in the military where you get promoted up the line and you become a colonel and a major and a general or whatever. These are political appointees who take these jobs and they run the, you know, they run the FBI, they run the CIA, and you know that can be dangerous if they don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to control the people just below them. So, in other words, what I hear you saying is, if this isn't happening now, it certainly could. The door is open to this sort of corruption at this level. And it would absolutely it, and it would seem like the government is sort of like the airline industry in that they only make substantive and meaningful changes after something really bad happens. What, <laughs> what very well said. What would have to happen? That's very well said. What would have to happen to change this and, and eliminate this type of corruption or the possibility of this type of corruption? Well, I mean, look at look at the hearings that are being held in Congress every day nowadays on both sides of the aisle. And you see what's happening when people, you know, look at what's happening at Harvard University, just to take an example. I mean, that's an appointed position and somebody who was admittedly now a plagiarist. And so putting aside the issue of anti-Semitism and, all, and the war over against Hamas, I mean, you know, these people, they're being called out for what they do. And that's the kind of thing that's got to happen in the government that people have to, I mean, look at the border. I don't want to get too political here. I really don't. But look at the border. I don't think any thinking American can believe that it's okay to have an open border. I mean, if you don't have a border, what kind of country do you have? And we've had millions of people walk through, and we've got a guy in charge of this, Mayorkas, who is obviously not competent to handle the job. And so if you don't have someone in charge of that agency who knows what he's doing, and, some, and someone who's able to, to rally his troops to respond in an appropriate manner, you're going to have trouble. And the same is true in the intelligence community, whether it's the CIA or the NSA or the FBI. Again, Jeffrey Stevens is with us. His new novel is Enemies Among Us, a story in which oftentimes the good guys aren't. Uh, you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? 
Yes, thank you. It's it's uh, www.jeffreystevens.com. Stevens is with a PH. Uh, the book's available in your local bookstore. It's available on Amazon. Jeffrey Stevens, thanks very much for taking the time. Best of luck with the book. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you so much for having me, and best to everybody. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A healthy collection of stories in the broken news this morning. A couple of items here uh, that are holiday related from the uh, holiday week. Um, you remember back before our break for the holidays, we were talking about the importance of not drinking and driving over the holiday season and all of that. We know that that's not a, a good thing. Uh, drinking and driving do not mix. But apparently we should have warned you about eating Christmas cookies and driving because this is a dangerous proposition as well. Police in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania, say a woman was driving on Route 30 in Hempfield Township when her car drifted off the road and struck a guardrail. Cops say the driver's explanation for the accident was that she was busy eating a Christmas cookie. (laughs) Fortunately, nobody seriously hurt. The car, however, uh, was crumpled pretty good. Uh, Flattened all the tires and flattened the the one side of the uh, vehicle. Uh... (laughs) Cops said, that's the way the cookie crumbles, and in this case, the fenders of the vehicle as well. Crumbles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to be outdone, more holiday nonsense here. Lots of different ways uh, that people uh, celebrate New Year's Eve. I uh, stepped out of the, the house right after the ball dropped at midnight. We were at some friend's house, and I uh, stepped out for a moment, get some fresh air, and I heard uh, fireworks going off in the background. Um... It's one of the uh, traditions of New Year's, shoot off fireworks, right? It's legal in Ohio now. Hopefully this is not a tradition that we'll be uh, catching on with respect to New Year's fireworks. A man in England, I only have his first name, Reese, rang in the New Year by attempting to launch a firework from his mouth. As you might expect, this did not end well. A video of the ridiculous stunt obtained by the Sun newspaper Shows uh, Reese putting the rocket in his mouth while his friends cheer him on in in the background. (laughs) The clip ends with with a man getting hit in the face by a spray of sparks before dropping the firework on the ground. Video is captioned, Happy New Year, everyone. Don't do that. Don't do that. Elsewhere in the broken news, boy, this is this is sad. Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, a family uh, found their home reduced to ashes after their house was set on fire by their pot-bellied pig. Yes, that's right. The pig is blamed for starting the fire. Margaret Painter tells local news reporters... Uh, The fire was sparked after she gave her pig extra hay to keep him warm outside. He had a little heat lamp there, and he must have knocked his hay into the heat lamp and started the fire that then burned down the house. A few hours before the new year, she says she noticed the fire outside of her window, called her husband. 
uh, who opened the door and the fire then flashed into the home. They tried to put it out, but it was too late. Uh, The uh, painters and their children escaped along with their five cats. Uh, As for the pig named Albert, he was injured but survived uh, and apparently was transported to Ohio State University Veterinary Medical Center to be treated for smoking inhalation and some minor burns. Uh, The painters have set up a GoFundMe page to help in their recovery. All right. I, I don't mean to laugh. I mean, it's uh, it's sad when somebody loses everything to a fire. But really, adding extra hay and a heat lamp uh, to your uh, pot-bellied pig, just let the pig in. That's Just let your animals in. That's the, that's the way to keep them warm, I guess. Uh, <laughs> all right. Speaking of uh, pets, and I'm glad this has a happy ending, but how embarrassing is this? The U.S. Coast Guard had to be called in to pull off a dramatic oceanside rescue in Oregon after a golden retriever named Leo slid down a seaside cliff and into the water at Ecola State Beach. First responders from three local fire departments were already on the scene when the Coast Guard arrived via helicopter. Three fire departments and the Coast Guard, a Coast Guard helicopter, to retrieve a golden retriever uh, from the uh, water's edge. A rescue swimmer and a hoisting basket were lowered from the copter to uh, the water's edge to retrieve Leo, the golden retriever. He was reunited with his owners in the parking lot above the cliff and is said to be recovering nicely after an overnight stay at a local veterinary clinic. But, I mean, I'm glad it has a uh, a happy ending, but how embarrassing would that be? I mean, if I were... Uh, the dog's owner. I mean, I want to save my dog, obviously. <laughs> Three fire departments and a Coast Guard helicopter all to rescue the dog. I would be so embarrassed. <laughs> you know? You'd just be so embarrassed. I'm to save the dog. Uh, let's see here. They say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Not necessarily. A man is uh, facing charges after allegedly stealing an airplane from the North Las Vegas airport and flying to California. Damien uh, Ducatus. Damien Damien Ducatus uh, allegedly stole the plane. Uh, This was on New Year's Eve, Eve, December 30th, around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, then fled into the desert when he was questioned by police in San Bernardino when he landed. He was quickly apprehended. Officials say the motive is still under investigation. <laughs> Heard of stealing a car. See, we've had a lot of uh, vehicles uh, being stolen. Unusual vehicles. Stealing a plane. I mean, do you think anybody would notice? What was... The- and finally, the broken news this morning. Uh, a little po- uh, political nonsense here. A uh, former Texas congresswoman who is fighting to take back her seat has been caught up in a bizarre scandal. Now, as political scandals go, this is one of the more unusual. Myra Flores is accused of copying random pictures off the Internet and passing them off on social media as her own. And they are all about food, of all things. Apparently, uh, Ms. Flores 
suggested that she was a an accomplished cook, making everything from homemade tortillas to fried eggs and posting about it on social media. Problem is, she apparently wasn't making any of these things. She was just stealing pictures of the food from other places on the internet and posting them as her own. <laughs> her critics have dubbed it Grubgate. <laughs> what? Like I said, as political scandals go, this is uh, uh, fairly innocuous. It's not a, a big deal, necessarily. I mean, you know, plagiarizing other people's photos is not a good thing, but I mean, there could be a lot worse political scandals in the world, but it raises the question of why? Why, why would you do such a thing? I don't know. Uh, it would be interesting to see if she uh, wins her election or is forced to drop out because of Grubgate. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When the rumors are flying, getting the facts matters more than ever. At WFIN, we're your trusted source and will always present the story only after verifying the information with trusted sources. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek, trusting us to present just the facts when covering events impacting Finley and Hancock County. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We always talk about financial resolutions this time of year. A lot of people want to get their financial house in order to do better with money, save a little bit, uh, get themselves in a better uh, financial position. And that could be because a survey of 2,000 American adults with less than two months of savings currently finds that Fully one-third, 33% of respondents to the survey say they actually feel paralyzed when an unexpected cost comes along. When they're faced with an unexpected expense, they actually feel paralyzed. That's the adjective that they use, paralyzed. The most common paralyzing disruptions financially include an unexpected bill or expense, 55%. 52% say medical emergency. Uh paralyzes them financially uh just increases in the cost of living 44 percent they just regular increases in the cost of inflation as 37 percent cite an increase in loan payments maybe an adjustable rate mortgage that goes up 36 percent say losing a job which would do it i think for most of us 25 percent of respondents say they devote one week a month to budgeting checking their bank balance looking through their credit card purchases and so on. Not all at once, but about one week out of the month is spent on uh, all of that. The average respondent spends 18.63 days out of the year stressing stressing over money, which is roughly the, um, the amount of number of days you spend at work a month. So one month, one working month out of the year, Uh, stressing over money. That's a lot of stress. Into a new month, new year, ringing in a new year of fun outdoor activities and programs with the Hancock Park District. Month of January, Michelle Rumschlag is here to tell us what's happening in the parks. Michelle, Happy New Year. Thanks very much for being with us. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. And, uh... 
never take any time off. I mean, there's always something going on in the parks there, there or is. involving the parks year round it because is, it's yes. four seasons of fun. It is. And we've, you know, the last couple of years have increased our, our public programming. So we used to, when I first started, you know, had a little lull in the winter time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not anymore. And, and you don't have to take a break from the parks either. We're open every day. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's a little chilly this morning and maybe mm-hmm. it's not, you know, you're a fair weather park goer, but... Um, you're not having a big family yeah. reunion or a big birthday party no. cookout or something in right. January, but there's still uh, a lot of beauty in the parks, a lot of yes. things that you won't see, obviously, uh, when you go other seasons. Right, so. and so, right, because you're like, well, everything's kind of dull, but yeah, but think of all, you know, there's the nest from this past nesting season you can see. Um, you know, maybe some different tracks. If we get a little snow on the ground, mm-hmm. I mean, that's when everything is just really pretty. Um, but, you know, you might be getting a little, you know, cabin fever or inside. And it's just, yeah, you don't have to be outside all day. But, yeah. you know, go take a little hike. Go down, walk by the river. Air. Right. Some right. fresh air. Kind of, you know, clear your head. It's, it's always good to be outside. What do we got going on in the month of January to help bring people uh, out to the parks? Well, just to remind everybody, um, even though we don't have any snow on the ground right now, um, our Raccoon Run Winter Sports Center is still open on weekends. Um, but again, we, we need a good like four to six inches of yeah. snow, really, and a good snow base. Might get that next week, the way they're talking about I Tuesday, seen Wednesday. That, so that's very Tuesday, exciting. Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> they're talking about the first significant snow. Right. How significant that will be remains to be right. seen. But Well, knows? and we had that last year where we were supposed to get all that snow. Again, right. how cold is the ground? Is it going to melt? Mm-hmm. And that one day we did, we it snowed all day, but you know what? It melted. It was the wrong type of snow to get our, our to get our good base. And so we have to have that. And it's... It's because, you know, the equipment, you know, we want you to have a good skiing, snowshoeing, you know, experience. Right. And you can, you know, damage the equipment if, you know, after a few passes, you're hitting grass. And so right. that's why we have to have a good base out there. So if anywhere, like, yeah, if it's looking like next weekend, we're always going to put on our Facebook page or you can always call the office if we think we might be open or to let you know, you know, that's going to be happening. But also starting this month. On Saturdays, we're doing our beginner cross-country ski workshops. Again, we have to have enough snow ground to do that. Weather permitting, right? Right. But just letting everybody know, and actually it takes place on Saturdays in January and February. And those are 9 o'clock. Of course, our our winter sports happen at Shelter 3 there at Riverman Recreation Area. Mm -hmm. And this one's a little different. So, again, if it's looking like snow and you want to sign up, you need to sign up online. Um, There's no cost until you show up for the workshop. So, there's still – it's $12 per person. But it's one of those like, well, yes, reserve your spot, but just you to make sure, to right? You know, you deal know with refunds and all that. Right. Yes. Yeah. So just to make sure we're good, we have you pay with cash or check there on the on the day of the workshop. All right. Um, so just putting that out there, maybe fingers crossed. Do your snow dances. We'll get <laughs> if you are so inclined. It's the season, you know. Right. We should have some. We should have some snow in there. Right. Uh, what else is going on uh, this month to highlight? Well, we also, again, without you know, we have some, of course, outdoor activities, but there's also some indoor things happening. Um, so one of those is on Saturday, January thirteenth, um, taking place at Oakwoods Nature Preserve in the Discovery Center. Um, it's a program for um, families with children ages ten and up, and it's called Winter Ducks and Rubber Ducks. So, of course, there's still some ducks and, and waterfowl that will stay around um, during the winter season. Some mm-hmm. do migrate because of, um, you know, with the it's it's the ice. You know, they don't have the right. open water. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and things, but then we do have some still around. So you'll be learning about some of those that potentially you can still see. And then a cool thing is we have, of course, have those little rubber ducks everybody sees. We bought some white ones. So you're going to be able to, with paints or with colored uh, markers, design your own duck or design <laughs> okay. it to look like one of our okay. better ducks that we have. All um, right. Tim Clayman, one of our program specialists, is doing this program. And so he, I think it's on our Facebook page, he did some examples um, of a ruddy duck and a mallard. And these things are so cool. <laughs> or if you want to design your own. So if you've got somebody that's uh, a little bit of an artist or, again, is really into out, you know, wildlife and, mm. and waterfowl. Okay. Um, there's no registration. It's free. Um, it starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But, again, it's for that little older kids. So, again, you can draw. Um, but learning about winter ducks and then making your own okay. rubber duck thing All to right. take. Very good. Um, anything else to uh, highlight while we got you here? Um, so, speaking about getting out on the trails, on Thursday the 18th, um, I'm doing an end-of-workday sunset hike. So, okay. sunset, of course, it's starting to get a little bit later. I noticed that yesterday. It's funny. Right. I, I noticed yesterday um, I was I actually coming down the stairs and looking out the, the front window of our house. Yes. And I'm like, wow, it's not dark yet. It's like 5, 5.30. It's not dark yet. Yes. So Completely. Yes. So we're still getting um, a little later sunrise. It's about 8 o'clock or even a little after, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should start backing off, I think, about mid-month. But yes, the sun is setting. So yeah, I left work um, Tuesday. It was quarter after, and I'm like, at 5. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so light out. And I got very excited about it. So, <laughs> um, so this is going to be at 5.30. Uh, meeting there at Dold Lake, the parking lot um, up that way. And so we're just going to walk around in the wetland area. Again, if, if you know, get off work. Again, you've been inside all day. Want to get out. Just there you fresh go. air. Hopefully, hopefully it's there's we can see the sunset. You know, there's a lot of clouds mm-hmm. this time of year. Um, but again, ages 18 and up. Um, again, don't need to register. Just show up. 530 there at Dold Lake. January 18th. Okay. Uh, some of the uh, highlights from the January schedule of events, uh, the entire schedule is on the yes. website, right? Yes, HancockParks.com, not only January, but February. And then we are, of course, working on our spring calendar. So March, I'm not sure when March is going to be out, um, but by mid-February, all of spring and then also summer camps will be ask- out mid People call and they know yeah. because we fill up with our summer camps. Um, they're very popular, and so if somebody's missed out in years, pre- they know right. to start looking. Yeah. So I, by middle February, all of our spring calendar will be out and summer camps. I remember uh, last year we were talking about that, and uh, so I was going to mention be watching for those summer camp opportunities. Mm-hmm. I know it's it's only January, but right? You so you got a little bit, of, you got a little bit of time, but Before right, we let people it. know, and that way they can start planning, planning some of their summer. Good. Michelle Rimschlag from the uh, Hancock Park District with us uh, this morning. Michelle, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow morning on the program, the most popular New Year's resolutions and resources to make this the year to make them stick. All from the search trends experts at Google. Plus, combating the growing problem of swatting. Is there anything that law enforcement can really do to stop it? 
So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.